You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Today's cool fact of the day is that a study out of Dartmouth recently suggests that people are eight times more likely to blame someone for something than they are to express gratitude. Uh, this is why I recommend that every night before you go to bed that you find three things that you're grateful for and you just take a second to know what they are. I do this every single night with my kids and you never know what you'll hear. Uh, not so long ago, my son, when he was five, said, I'm grateful for the Big Bang because without it, there wouldn't be anything, which was, okay, that's gratitude, right? I'm, I'm okay with that. It doesn't matter what you're grateful <laughs> for. That's the whole point. You can be grateful for marshmallows. As long as you feel gratitude, you're totally legit. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD+, even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. Today's guest is a friend. She's also been on Bulletproof Radio before, but now she has a new book out. I'm talking about Anise Kavanaugh. She's a award-winning speaker, a teacher, and she works on something called the IEP method. And her book is called Contagious Culture, Being a Force for Positive Impact in Your Business and Life. And it looks at leadership. And I thought that you would care about this today because 
leadership isn't something that only the boss does. Leadership is something that, at least if your boss is very effective, your boss gives to you to do in the organization. So leadership is something that you can set by example, but whether or not you're high up in your company or whether or not your leadership is something that you practice at home, understanding how you can take your key values and you can make them well contagious is I think a skill for life. It, it's a bulletproof skill for everyone. Uh, it's not enough to just feel really good. If you can make everyone else around you feel better or perform better, that's even better. And that will feed back on you and give you more power and more energy and make you feel good. So you can find out more about Anise Kavanaugh at anisekavanaugh.com. And Anise, I'm just going to say it. You need a better URL because no one can spell your name. I'll spell it for them. But like, seriously, <laughs> just giving you a hard time. I know. Um, I know. No, you should. It, yes, we have we have a simpler one for them now. It's IEP.io. Okay. That's it. IEP.io. <laughs> and if you want to do the masochistic thing, you can go to AniseCavanaugh.com. A-N-E-S-E-C-A-V-A-N-A-U-G-H.com. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> yeah, we've had a lot of requests lately for me to change my name. It's been interesting. So, Anise, the mystery of how to spell your name <laughs> has been solved. Uh, the other mystery for people who are just tuning in, if you're looking at me, I'm wearing really cool sunglasses. They are my Erlen filters. Helen Erlen was just on the show again. And these are very lightly tinted indoor glasses that filter out the spectrum of light that my brain has the hardest time processing. And since I want to feel amazing all day, I'm actually just going to wear these. And I, I think I'm just getting comfortable with the fact that I have sunglasses on indoors because they're not that sunglasses-like. Either I'm in training to be a rock star or I'm like a serious, serious dork. And I'm also cool with either one of those. But anyway, I realized I didn't explain that before the show, but that's why I'm standing here uh, in this cool studio uh, looking not really like a rock star because they're not that cool with glasses. But anyway, Erlen. I- I was, I was actually going to ask, so thank you for demystifying that for me. It turns out one in two people have light spectrums yeah. that mess with their brain. Uh-huh. And now I'm certified to, uh, to diagnose that and to help people see that and, and to uh-huh. basically <laughs> learn how to read with a lot less energy. And it, I just did it for someone last night. It's, it's profound. You see people go, I had no idea. And then all of a sudden they have more energy. Huh. So I have a lot more <laughs> of my brain when I take control of my colors. You know, it seems like I seem to remember you with glasses a couple years ago, but they were orange. They were more were they orange? orange. Yeah. Okay. I, I got, Does it change? I got retested, and I've done some brain upgrade stuff, so I'm less sensitive than I was. But still, I'm I'm relatively severe in terms of that, probably because of my background exposure to toxic mold. They're very cool. Well, thank you. So let's get into the IEP method and why you wrote a book about it. What is IEP? And uh, long-time listeners may have heard the first one, but I think a refresher is in order. You bet. So IEP stands for Intentional Energetic Presence, and it is basically about how you show up in the world. And when I think when I talk about showing up, I'm talking about how you show up for yourselves in terms of how you take care of yourself, but I'm also talking about how you show up as a leader in supporting other people. And if you take those three words, intention, energy, and presence, I break them down looking at, okay, there's intention, what I want to have happen. There's the energy, you know, the energy I bring to the table, how I take care of myself, um, making sure that I've, you know, got sustainable energy to do all the great stuff I'm here to do. And then there's presence, which I look at presence in a really holistic standpoint, which is all about how present you are in this moment, your actual energetic presence, how you show up on stage, your leadership presence, um, how present you are to the truth of your life, those different things. So I put those three together and you have the IEP method. 
So now you can tell, if you're listening to this right now, why I like Anissa's work, because intention is, is why you're doing what you're doing, right? And so like there's a very specific intent behind what I do with Bulletproof, and the intent is, well, if someone would have just told me all this stuff when I was 16 or 20, like the amount of energy that I would have wasted in, in my life would have been very different. So that's the second one, energy. And a lot of what I do is how do you amp up energy and how do you stop wasting energy, right? Mm-hmm. And then presence. <clears throat> presence is is harder to, to get your mind around, but the ability to focus even is a core part of presence. In my world, the ability to focus comes in large part from having enough energy and then from training yourself to focus. Mm-hmm. And so you've put all this together into a framework that's actually really cool. And that's why I think people listening would really appreciate your work. Walk me through each of those sections in a little bit more detail. Uh, like, like, let's talk about specifics of intention. Like, what do you do in your book? What do you tell people to do to have more intention in their life? Sure, sure. So if we break down the actual IEP method, I started to realize a couple of years ago, and this might have even been after you and I spoke, because we, we, I was on your show about two years ago, mm-hmm. I think. But I started to break, pull it apart even more, and I found that there were three parts to the IEP method. If you put intentional energetic presence all together, there are three parts. The first part is being able to reboot your presence in the moment. So that's literally, you know, you and I are sitting here, Dave, and, you know, you swallow coffee wrong or we get distracted or we have a snafu. And it's being able to get present to this moment and come back and show up intentionally without getting completely distracted by what just happened. So the first thing is rebooting your presence before you even walk into a meeting, before you walk into a conversation with your kids, um, before anything. The second component is the intention piece, which is, Um, a framework that's in the book, which is called the five steps to intentional impact. And that's setting your intentions for any meeting, any conversation, any project, anything about what are the outcomes you want to create and how do you want people to feel when they're creating them with you. And then the third component is just building a really strong IEP foundation, which is something that we're doing every single day of our lives. And that's one of the reasons why I resonate so much with your work is, you know, we're, we're so much in alignment in terms of helping people optimize their performance. And the IEP foundation to me, that's where Bulletproof really, you know, you can't, you can't get a more strong, you know, getting Bulletproof is a really great pathway to creating a stronger IEP foundation. So it's those three things, your presence, your intended impact, and your IEP foundation. All right, I'm gonna ask a really rude question. Great. How hard is it for someone who's really obese to, be, to, to do the IEP thing? I think that it starts with their intention. Okay. I don't. I don't think it's a rude question. I don't think that's so, a rude so question. I, I think that anybody can do it. I, I don't want to. I don't want to pick on obese people having been one yeah. for like a good portion of my life. Um, yeah. I, I've found both in working with obese clients and in my own experience, energy regulation is broken when your body stores mm. fat like that. You have mm. periods where you're strong and you have periods where you're weak. But your, your average might be okay, but your consistency is all over the map. Yeah. So even if you have the best of intention then Mm -hmm. the E part is highly variable and unpredictable. And I don't think it's easy to have P, the the presence, without enough E. So I found Mm -hmm. I was fat. Like when I was on, like, okay, I'm on. But then there's a lot of times like, I want to be on, but I'm, you know, I'm I'm just, I'm I'm not there. So then I just yell at the people and tell them, you know, to go away. And well, then later when I have energy, they don't want to talk to me, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think, I, I think I've never been asked that question before. I think that's a really interesting question. I... My relationship with that question would be that the intention and the presence is even more important than the energy Mm. when a person's starting out with that. Because if I'm obese and I'm really present 
to my obesity right now and what's going on in my life and how I'm feeling, if I'm really present to that, and then I have an intention that I wanna feel better, those two things bookending it are going to make the energy piece a little bit easier, but it's gonna take more time. Uh, but I think but I but I think that you'd have to have the intention and the presence to your current state in order to start making uh, changes in the energy. So you won't upgrade your energy there until you you realize that you want to do it and that you have the presence so. to know that you need to do it. I think so. Okay. I, I I think I mean I could I could line up with that. I think that I think that once somebody knows, you know, I, I 70% of this work is an awareness, right. I believe. And what I've noticed is that once somebody notices that they're not satisfied with where they're at in their current state, mm -hmm. that if they set an intention to start shifting, like they get present and they set an intention to start shifting it, it becomes easier to start paying attention to, okay, is the food that I'm putting in my body, is it fueling me? Is the way I'm spending my time, is that adding or detracting from my energetic state? So I, I think, yeah, I... I I'd have to think about it some more, but I could get in alignment with that, that the intention and the, energy and the presence is the most important starting point. Uh, one of my favorite things to do is, is to work with, or even just talk with people who were morbidly obese, yeah. and then he, he, just upgrade the energy first, uh, because then, uh, at least in, in my case, and I may be generalizing what, what I felt like, and I'm, yeah. I'm a corner case in lots of ways, but yeah. uh, it was like, like you kind of have this desperate desire uh, to, yeah. to show up more <laughs> and you want to have more energy, but it's just like, it's, it's so much. And, yeah. and I had someone show up at the, the book signing of the Bulletproof coffee shop and, and she had just lost 70 pounds on the Bulletproof diet. Mm. And she actually started crying when she was telling me about it, but she wasn't crying because she lost the weight. She was crying because I got my brain back. I got my energy back. Mm. And like the, mm -hmm. the cravings went away. When the cravings went away, I had more energy and then I could yeah. go do this and then I could go do that. And, and you, it was like, it was like you're pulling this this heavy sled behind you and you don't know it and then you drop that and all of a sudden like you can make all the progress at once uh, which is why i asked the question because I, I feel like like that was how i felt when i was really obese was was that it, it was just too much work to show up this mm -hmm. way so i could do it mm -hmm. but it was like okay i'm in front of a classroom and i'm teaching so i'm going to just pour everything in and then i'm done i'm like oh and i'm just a zombie and i'm, I'm spent and that wasn't very sustainable. So it, it feels mm -hmm. like just that first, like get more energy in the system. Let's just fix that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. All right. Yeah. So, but you start with you start with the intent or the presence first. You're saying. I, I start. I mean, I put it. I put it all together. Right? So I, you know, there's the three things that you put together, but then there's also just you take it as a whole intentional energetic presence. That's just deciding how I want to show up in every moment. The breaking intention, energy, and presence down. That kind of helps give it more stepping stones. But I. I say start wherever it resonates most for you. So in your example about obesity, you know, I, when you're talking about showing up for other people, I would also be asking in that moment, Dave, when you were teaching and you were getting exhausted and everything, what would the, be the littlest thing that you could be doing to be showing up for yourself even more? You know, because what I hear is your attention was so much on how are you showing up for everybody else and then you get exhausted. And, and so a, an interesting place to look is how am I showing up for myself? Like what's the little thing I need to do right now so that I can feel a little bit energetically better? Pretty much at the time that would have been just been coffee, like a lot of was coffee. Was it coffee? Okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like I was curious. It, yeah. it is for most people. This was before I knew about Bulletproof Coffee, but yeah. it was also, I'm teaching at seven o'clock at night, like a room full of yeah. like engineering people. You really shouldn't have coffee at seven o'clock at night unless it's decaf. But I was like, no, I need this energy. And I'm like, I'm, I'm just gonna bring it. Uh, but it, it was definitely not sustainable. I may have a bias towards maintaining physiological energy because I believe that's the, the root of all the stuff that happens in your brain. Like if the mitochondria don't yeah. fire, 
like not nothing happens in your brain. Yeah. Um, but I also had brain true. damage from neurotoxin exposure at the time. Yeah. So I was maybe it was just more apparent to me. It was an amplified yeah. signal. But yeah. what would you say? Yeah. Right, so someone's like, all right, I I want to show up more. And I'd say they're in a high pressure situation. They're in front of a classroom. They're giving a presentation at work. Uh, they're doing something at school. Whatever. How would you counsel someone in the IEP framework to to have more of whatever that internal awareness is? Well, you bring up a really interesting point about you know like the, the brain damage with the neurotoxins because I you know as, as we're talking about this, I'm thinking every time I work with a client, one of the first things I'm asking them is what are they eating? How are they taking care of themselves? And a lot of times I'll go in to do work with leaders and you know or to do coaching or whatever we're doing, and they're really surprised that before I show up, there's I often will have bulletproof coffee there. Oh, I'll have that I'll have <laughs> all so the cool. time. You have no idea how many offsites I've led where I've brought my Vitamix and a bunch of butter oh, and wow. your products. Thank you. It's all the time. You're welcome. My my art. Thank you. It, it makes my life easier. So. You know, it's interesting because I, I think that if your energy is not clear, it's harder to be clear about your intention. So it, it really is like a Mobius mm. strip that is continuously working together. And my my thinking is go start wherever you can start where, wherever it resonates. So if intention feels really intimidating, then great. Do the little thing you can to amplify your energy. If presence feels scary, like just go wherever it feels right. Okay. Does that make sense? So when I work with people, I'll look at how are you eating? How are you sleeping? What are you doing? And so I want to know, and they're often really surprised because they're like, well, you're not a personal trainer. You're not my nutritionist. I'm here. I want you to be my leadership coach. Uh-huh. And that the thing is, is that you can't extract that out. And so the book, the way that the book builds is it starts with, you know, the fundamentals of you're contagious and why that's important and what showing up actually means. And it has people really look at what does showing up mean for them? Because I might have my description of what I think showing up is, but I think we all have to really decide what that means for us personally. And then it moves, the next section is moving into their physiology and their mindset and all the things that people tend to kind of put on the back burner because they want to get into leadership. And then it builds into leadership. So what does showing up mean for you personally then? For me personally, Mm -hmm. showing up means honoring my agreements for myself. So agreements that I have around how I want to show up in the world, my values. Um, Showing up for me means choosing my attitude. It means choosing how I want to interact with things. I mean, you and I were talking earlier, and I mentioned I just got stranded um, in Denver Airport overnight. And I don't, have you ever spent the night in a terminal before? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's, it's an experience, you know? And so showing up, you know, it's a really silly example, but showing up for me meant that I chose to make that as good of an experience as possible and to be a positive in it as opposed to what was happening with so many other people where, like, literally, I saw luggage get thrown because people were so upset. So. Wow. You know, showing up for me means mm-hmm. showing up for myself so I feel happy and joyful and healthy and, and alive. And then also using that to make a positive impact in the world. Because to me personally, if I'm taking care of myself and I feel great and I'm happy and all that stuff, but I'm not making a positive impact for other people or for my kids, then it doesn't matter. Like it's, it's not enough. And if I'm making great impact on other people, but I'm completely fried and burnt out, then that doesn't work either. So it, it, it's two sides. Okay. You write about holding your fate, right? And now leadership, culture, management, <laughs> business people, now you got fate in there. Like, are, are you like a closet hippie, Anise? What, what's going on here? Okay. So, so what? what <laughs> I'm a closet hippie. <laughs> well, I'm not oh, in the closet. No, no I'm kidding. But, no, but I'm out. I'm in, an out hippie. No. Intent and fate. So, and you actually start your book out talking about holding your fate. What is the deal with fate? Because right now, like all the, the skeptic-minded people are like, 
I don't know about this, Anise. But what do you mean by that? I mean that we get to choose. We get to choose how we want to interact with our lives. And so we can have, I mean, things happen to us all the time, Dave, as we all know, everyone listening to this, everyone watching this, we all know things happen all the time that suck, that are out of our control. We have, it's very difficult to deal with. At the same time, we still get to choose how we want to interact with them. We still get to choose in that, how we want to talk to ourselves, um, how kind we want to be, how we want to take accountability for what what littlest piece we might've had in taking that, you know, making that thing happen. You know, so for example, I can have a relationship, a working relationship or whatever, that's really, really challenging. And maybe the person is unkind or they're just, they're not a great person on the team or whatever. I hold my faith. They might be quote unquote doing things to me all the time or doing things to the team, but I still am in control of how I interact with that person. I'm in control of what kind of requests I make. I'm in control of if I remove them from the team or if I leave the team. And so I do believe that we, you know, yes, there are bigger powers always happening that are controlling so much of what's happening that we don't have control over. But ultimately, when it comes down to it, we're always at choice about how we take care of ourselves and we're at choice about how we decide to interact with other people and show up. I think, I believe very strongly. So, so the first two thirds of my career, so yeah. I, I, I did very well in Silicon Valley and I had multiple opportunities to be in the executive staff weekly meeting and board meetings and all that kind of stuff. And there's a, a set of behaviors, uh, the, the courtesan behaviors. If you read like Robert Greene's 48 Laws of Power, this is what powerful mm -hmm. people do to get in power and stay in power. And whether they know they're doing it or not, like the reason that they got there is in part because they learned like the hidden code of behavior. Mm -hmm. So that's how you show up externally. But what I've learned in the latter third of my career is that if how you show up externally and how you show up internally are not in alignment, what yeah. ends up happening is people know, oh, that guy's like doing all the things right, but there's something that lacks integrity, there's something insincere, yeah. or yeah. the infamous, I don't know why, I just don't trust that person. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I've actually done a lot of work on making sure that what I'm doing externally, I'm doing internally or in alignment. And if it's not in alignment internally, I'm just not gonna do it externally. Right, mm -hmm. and that removes a lot of discomfort from my life, and it means that I like solve problems more quickly rather than just letting yeah. them drag on. Yeah. What when you talk about showing up like this? Are you talking about the external? In other words, I had enough control to do the right thing, even though I was pissed off. I didn't act pissed off, and I said, you know, thank you, ma'am, or whatever you're mm -hmm. supposed to say. Like, like, mm -hmm. give me more on this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so. It's, it's actually, so you're just tying right back into what we were just talking, you know, what I was mentioning about the showing up piece for me, it's about what's happening externally and how I'm showing up for the world, but also how I'm handling myself. So to me, that's the same thing of what okay. you're talking about of being congruent, how I show up internally, my beliefs, my values, my regard for other human beings, that has to be congruent with how I show up in the rest of the world and the way I treat people. And if that is, then we have the outcome you're talking about where it's, you've got credibility and people trust you. Um, when, you know, thinking about if I'm really angry about something and internally I'm seething, but I want to go and be really, you know, hey there, hi there, hi there, it's all fine. Yeah, nobody's going to trust me for that. They're going to sense that. And so I have a responsibility for in that moment, showing up for me might be to very authentically process what's happening, to go call a friend, to go call you. Hey, Dave, this thing just happened. I'm really upset about it. Can we talk about it? So that I process that feeling. I have an authentic emotion around it. And then I get to decide how I want to interact in it. In that moment, it might be taking a timeout and literally saying, you know, actually, I'm going to take, I need a little bit of a break. 
right? Yeah. So it's not about being an authentic internally. It's, it's being authentic. But a lot of times, you know, like, let's just say before you and I have this, um, our ta- this, this chat today and right before I get on the, on the call, something happens that really upsets me or it ruins my day or whatever. And then we're going on and I have a couple choices. I can cancel. I can tell you, Dave, I don't feel like I'm in a really bad mood. I can come on and be really inauthentic and just be like, Hey Dave, everything's great. And you're going to feel it right. Yep. Or, or I can reboot and I can look at getting really, really present in this moment and trusting that whatever just happened, I'm going to go take care of it after this call. So I have a choice in this moment to show up and be really present with you to hopefully contribute yeah. to your audience, right? That makes sense. And I, before I go on stage or if I'm going to do something that's uh, high drama, although I yeah. don't actually have that many things that are high drama just because of the, the level of neurological calmness that I've, uh, yeah. I've taught myself. But if there's something that, that really requires that, that level of performance, I, I do the heart rate variability thing yeah. where I... I literally calm my fight or flight response, go into a parasympathetic mode, and then I can go in. It doesn't really matter if it's like an annoying thing. I'm not going to go into the reactionary mode. So then I'm internally in control as well as externally in control. And, and that, that makes it easy. If, I'm, yeah. if either one of those two isn't matched, it doesn't work. And that also means, for me, one of the hardest things to do is when it's an appropriate thing is to act angry. <laughs> <laughs> to send a strong signal, but I'm actually not angry. I'm, I'm, I might be a little bit disappointed that things didn't go the way I wanted. But if someone mm-hmm. needs to see anger to motivate them, mm-hmm. um, and I'm not feeling it, I'm like, oh, like I'm not going to do that. It's, it's too unauthentic, so I just won't do it. Like I'll just be like, look, I'm really not happy about this. Like, do it better next time, okay? Uh, versus like, you know, I'm really, uh, you know. And sometimes that the tantrum is what motivates people. But I, I think I was manipulative. Like, if I'm not feeling it, I'm not going to do it. Right, what, what's your right. advice on that? Like, like, should I be doing right. that if that's what the situation really calls for? Not if it's fake. Well, there you go. All right, so we agree on that. I don't that. think so. Okay. I, I mean, I'm a huge proponent of be, you know, be authentic and be responsible for your impact. So, you know, if it, sometimes anger, that's one of the most important things that can happen on a team. You know, you, you get, your team messes something up and you actually, you know, you're angry and you come from an authentic place about it. You name it and then you work through it. Sometimes that anger is really important to... Um, expand the team's ability and also to create more trust because you're you're willing as a leader to come back to the table afterwards. But in service of just, you know, I remember I remember meeting somebody who he his way of managing his people was to throw phones at them. Wow. I, that was it. He was like, hey, this is this is the way I do it. I throw phones at my people. They're totally motivated. These are like those little <laughs> Zoolander tiny flip phones, like those little ones. So they don't hurt too much. Or? Like the big ones. The big phones. <laughs> I can't the big phones. I can't imagine. Like if I had a manager, I've right. had some really abusive managers in the past, but I, I, like, how could you not catch the phone and throw it back? Like, like, that, <laughs> like it might be your last move at the job, but it'd be right. worth it, right? Right, right, totally, totally. But this guy, this guy thought that his leadership prowess was like awesome because he said, hey, we're, you know, they were really high up. They just won an, won, won an award for their performance as a business. They hit like a certain financial, they were the Inc. Fi- like at the Inc. 500 and, um, he was really proud of it. And he said, you know, my people are terrified of me and that's how I lead and that works for me. So that's authentic. Wow. I, they weren't on the list next year. I don't know what happened to him, but. Yeah, what, you know. what happened is all of his employees basically slit his throat when he wasn't looking in, in a business perspective. Probably. Because that's what happens when you're a total pers- jerk like that. Like you can't run a company that way. It's Come not on. sustainable. Actually, maybe no, maybe you not. can, but like you, you will, your life will suck and so will that of everyone around you. So you shouldn't run a company that way. 
And then they're not giving you their best thinking. They're not giving you their best creativity. They're there for a job. You know, they're there to punch the clock to do what they have the bare minimum that they have to do because you know they, they need a job. Versus they're inspired and they're excited and they go home and rave about how great it is to work at the company and all that stuff. I mean, you know, the stuff that you and I are talking about. You talked about the the thirty eight different um, what was the behaviors? Forty eight laws of power. For, yeah. Forty eight laws of power. So this, you know, a lot of times when people come to me for help, they're they're really, really brilliant. You know, they've got their advanced degrees, they're making great money, they're all these things, but they can't figure out why they're not having the impact that they want to have. And nine times out of 10, Dave, it's the stuff that we're talking about. It's their intention, their energy, and their presence. It's just not congruent. There's a large number of people listening to this who don't believe in energy. Yeah. Can you walk me through what happens with someone with, quote, the wrong energy who walks into a room? Sure, sure. So anybody listening to this, and if, if, if yeah, anybody listening to this, has had the experience of being in a room where somebody walks in and the room changes. Or they're in a grocery store and they run into somebody and the person just starts, you know, talking about how busy they are or how hard life is or whatever, and they feel a shift in their state. They feel a shift in that. They're, they're either compelled by it or repelled by it. So everybody listening to this, I think, I would hope, has had that experience of something shifting. Or you get in the car with your kids and you're in a really, really good mood. And you're, this happens to me all the time. And one of your kids is in a really bad mood. And then all of a sudden, before you know it, the energy of the car has started to shift. Everyone in the room is, they're a little bit quieter. There's a little bit more like, ugh. You know, we see this in um, meetings a lot. You know, you guys are in a meeting, you got eight people, six of you are super high energy and you're getting a lot of work done and you're really productive and you're on purpose. And there's two people in the corner that just seem completely devoted to sink in the room. And so it's, 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 that's what we're talking about when I talk about energy. So as a leader. In terms of vibe, yeah. You walk into a room and you identify yeah. there's one or two people who are screwing up the energy of the room. Like, do you yeah. like smudge them with sage? No, I'm kidding. What, oh what, what, what do you do? I, right? You know, I can't have conversations like that without, without glasses. Next time we do this, I'm wearing glasses too. I feel like I could, I could battle the, the hippie comments a little bit better with glasses. <laughs> or do I smudge them? Yes, I walk over and I put my crystals all around them. And then I, we do a big smudging. And then um, we do some chanting. And, uh, crystal yeah, bowls, got crystal bowls. Crystal bowls, and we do the little gong, and you know, and then I and then I ask them about their aura, and yes, this is no. So what we do, we could do that, Dave. We could do that. Maybe I'll, try, you know, maybe I'll try that with my next offsite. Just really freak them out. We'll totally freak them out. So what we'll do instead is there's a couple ways. One is you walk in and you just notice it. Mm-hmm. So you don't make it wrong. You just notice it. It's like okay, you notice it, and you hold your as the leader of that meeting, you hold your own state. So you don't sink down, you don't meet that, you know, you don't match that energy. You hold your own state and you continue to lead the meeting. Then if it doesn't shift, sometimes that's enough to start shifting it and people will start to pop up, right? Because the lowest vibration will win unless the leader of the room is really good at holding that state. So a lot of times that will be enough to shift it. If it doesn't, my next step will be to get curious about it and to name what's happening in the room, to just say, hey guys, how are we doing? How are you guys feeling? Hey, George. I'm noticing like what's going on for you. Do you need anything? How are you feeling about this project? Just to engage them from a state of curiosity. It's not about making them wrong. It's not about judging them. It's not about being like, oh, you're the, you're the damper in the room. It's just, hey, what's going on over there? And then oftentimes, George having a little bit of space to start talking about that, that will shift it. And if that doesn't shift it, then I will often take a break and I'll pull George aside and ask him like, what's going on for you? Do you realize the impact you're having on the room? So. I, I was hoping that you were gonna say I could use pepper spray. Because that would make it so easy. Like, you! And you just spray it. That's, 
You know what? That is that is step eight. Step eight. That's in the ah, next book. No. It's the violent IEP method. <laughs> I better IEP through violence. I'm, I'm telling you, there's a market for this. All right. <laughs> there's uh, what you're saying is absolutely true in, in my experience, and it, this didn't come naturally to me. I don't think like it took a lot of work, but but you can figure out when like something's wrong in the room or uh, a person is just bringing it down, and you can actually stop that from impacting you. And mm-hmm. one of the, at least the model that, that I use is that there's, so in, when you're dealing with waves, there's this thing called amplitude, which is the height of the wave. Mm-hmm. So a tidal wave has mm-hmm. very big, it's very powerful, it has a high amplitude. And there's also like the level of chaos. So if you're surfing, there's regular sets, like you know, nine waves come in mm-hmm. and they're regular, and then they stop. And then nine waves come in, but it's very rhythmic. But if it's mm-hmm. choppy, like two waves, four waves, they're closely spaced or uncloselly spaced, that's the that's the difference that, that you can have there. And so if your energy is the high amplitude, you're like, look, I'm a tidal wave, and like I'm a tidal wave that it turns out has a little bit more choppiness to it, that's the right state. And mm-hmm. if your heart rate's that way, it's a magnetic field, but there's things you can do. If you walk into the room and you have the highest amplitude heart rate and you are in the zone, mm-hmm. people are, that's going to be infectious. Even if you mm-hmm. have a downer in the room, as long as they're not mm-hmm. a downer that also has high, high amplitude waves. And now, mm-hmm. you could say, oh my God, now we've both gone off into hippie land. Except I'm talking about waves that I can measure <laughs> with my iPhone. So, like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. It, there appears know, to be it, evidence. It, it, there's evidence. It, there's evidence. And by the way, it takes one to know one. Yes. Yeah. There's, yes. Right. Takes one to know one. Right. Yeah. And so, for people listening like this, it's okay to notice, you know what? Like, that guy has a bad vibe. Right? That's another way to say it. And if you acknowledge that as a leader, whether you acknowledge it out loud or just to yourself, and then you're like, okay, I'm like not going to take that on right now, I feel like it makes a difference. And that's why I'm mm-hmm. a fan of the way you lay this stuff out. Uh, in your book, uh, you write about contagious culture, but a lot of that contagiousness is like, look, you bring a bad apple into the room, and the meeting can go all to hell. And yeah. if you're in the room, and you see it happening, and you have this presence and you have the energy, you can actually block that. And it's not done cognitively. At least for me, it's more of a felt sense. But it's something that good leaders do, whether they know they're doing it or not. But they always do it, in, in my experience. Yeah. 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 I, I, what you're talking about, I, I think about is, um, and I talk about this in the book. It's, and there's, I actually include the exercise too, but it's, it's called bubbling up. Mm-hmm. So it's noticing what's around you bubbling up so that you get to choose what you want to allow into your space and what you want to like, where you want to, ma- if you want to match that or not. So you bubble up and you, and the whole idea with bubbling up is that you're just, it's bringing awareness back that we all have our own energetic space. And then we are at choice with how we want to interact with whatever's happening. Um, the other piece I would add is, you're talking about that guy over there has a bad vibe. And so for everyone listening to this or watching it, it also, one of the shortcuts in my mind is to notice, okay, that guy's got a bad vibe, but I want to check how am I doing? What am I putting out there? And how might I be contributing to that in some way? Or, you know, like if I start to make him wrong or judge him for it, then that's a way of also doing an energetic match. that's not going to contribute to helping things go right. So it's just really having awareness where it doesn't get into um, blame or putting it off there, but just noticing from a state of curiosity, okay, great. His energy is really low. It doesn't feel good to be around him or it's really, really toxic, you know, and how am I doing? How am I taking care of myself? How am I showing up with him? So it's just always having that awareness both ways, I think. Uh, I, we're, we're in alignment there. And totally. You talk about some other stuff in, in your book that's 
yeah. that's unusual. And and a lot of this, <laughs> I, I admire that you went to the you, you went to the the long and difficult amount of work it takes to write a book because most of this stuff is. Uh, the word is ineffable. And was, there aren't really mm-hmm. good words to describe it, which is the case for leadership. Uh, in fact, at Wharton, they, they had us do calculus in the leadership class once. And I'm like, how exactly do you use calculus in leadership? Because as far as I know, leadership has nothing to do with the area under a curve. But that was like the almost like a bastardization of leadership. Not that they didn't have mm-hmm. a good leadership program. They did, but I just didn't like doing math in it. And, <laughs> on, uh, and what you're doing is you're taking on the the squishier parts of it and putting a framework in it, which makes it easier to understand. And you talk about some specific things that I think would work for everyone, whether they feel comfortable and they're, they're looking to grow as leaders or just as human beings. Yeah. And you talk about outgracing busy and burnout. Mm. And you have this mm-hmm. idea of, of leadership optimizers. Can you walk listeners through a few of your leadership optimizers? Like, like how do you outgrace this stuff? What does outgracing sure. even mean? Sure, outgracing. Oh, it's well, it's nothing that requires sage and crystals. And <laughs> so, outgracing in my mind is I started to notice a couple of years ago. I'm sure you see this, uh, this whole thing about busy. You know, uh, I almost feel like we're getting, I almost feel like we're going to be on the other side of this issue pretty soon. Maybe 2016 will conquer busy. But, um, you know, I started to notice that if you ask somebody how they're doing, nine times out of 10, the response you get is like, oh my gosh, I'm so busy. It's so hard. I'm so busy. Have you noticed? Oh, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, or, or you'll be, I was in the grocery store one day and I ran into um, one of my daughter's friend's parents and, you know, they just, like literally chasing me down the aisle talking about how busy they are and I'm backing away, backing away, backing away. Anyway, so I just think that busy has become this thing of it's the new fine it's this badge of honor you know we perpetuate it culturally that the leaders talk about how busy they are there's it is like a badge of honor like i'm so busy they're they're trying to out busy each other and um i just i just think it's completely unnecessary and so the way i look at it is we all have you know the same amount of time we all are um doing things hopefully that are meaningful and you know important and um really looking at the language to me, outgracing busy is looking at how busy are you actually, why are you speaking in that term? Um, what is the language that you're using around? It? Is it really supporting you? So I started switching my language a couple years ago to, you know, I'm richly scheduled or I'm feeling on purpose or I'm feeling really well used or what, whatever it was for me that felt right in the moment. And it really changed my relationship with busy. And what I've noticed is I've had teams start to eliminate that word and that badge of honor from their vocabulary and from their team agreements. And it really opens up a ton of space. And so one way of outgrossing it or out, outgracing it um, is to really start noticing your relationship with busy and what's going on. Is it because you're exhausted because you're not taking care of your energy? Is it because you're really bad at holding boundaries? Is it because you're not clear on what you're supposed to be doing? And so you're saying yes to everything. If you, so lots of different pieces. I tend to say working hard or, or doing my best uh, because... <laughs> those are very different than being busy, right? Because mm-hmm. if you're being busy, you might be busy not working hard. You're just like wasting time, yeah. but you're busy, right? So right. I, I, tend to, I tend to work to avoid busyness as well just because yeah. as a way of thinking about my life, that's not what I want. I, I'm, uh, I am very tightly scheduled. <laughs> like yeah. every 15 minutes you has are. something. Yeah. Uh, but that's cool, and I ask for that. In fact, I, I pay my team to do that for me so I don't waste time because I believe yeah. in working hard and doing my best. Right. Well, you're all, you're also super, I mean, you're super intentional about it too. So there's, you know, so to me, you being as intentional as you are about how you want to be scheduled and, you know, working with your team and being so on purpose to me, that alleviates a lot of the energy of busy that so many people are stressed out by. 
So, you know, it's, I hear your language is being different, but also there's a lot of intention around the way that you schedule yourself out. That, that's true. Uh, I, I would own that. Okay, so, so that's one thing. So, so quit being busy, even if like you're working really hard and you don't have lots of free time, it doesn't mean yeah. that you're busy. It means that you're doing something. Okay, because yeah. being busy isn't actually accomplishing anything. All right, I hear you. No. Yeah. Another one is um, turning your complaints. So anything that you're not happy about in your life or in your team or in your organization, you look at that complaint and instead of complaining about it, which is completely unproductive, you, f- you flip it over and you look underneath it and there's always some kind of an uncommunicated request or a suggestion. And so if you can take your complaints and turn them into some kind of a request, all of a sudden you have a lot more power to start uh, changing whatever is happening in that organization or with your team or in that relationship. You could also do what I do is, is you look at your complaints and then you just start a company around solving them. <laughs> that is another what, that Why is does this coffee do make it? me jittery and cranky and angry? I'll fix that. Okay, sorry. <laughs> that's no, I love that's actually a perfect example. That's what I, did. I love that. That's no, it's brilliant. It's a perfect example. It wasn't working for you, so you looked, okay, what's what would I like instead? And then you did it. You went out and you did it. So that's taking huge ownership for a complaint that you had. And so, you know, you turn the complaint into a request. If you want to go um, and make it really good, especially in relationship dynamics, underneath that request is what I call some kind of a, a dream or a tender agenda. Okay. So for example, a complaint. T- Dave, tender, like the dating app? or No, no, no. <laughs> tender. Tender oh, agenda. Oh, the, the, the tender. Tinder. It's the Tinder agenda. Yes. That's, that's, that's another IEP book. We'll talk about that one later. Um, but there's, so there's the complaint. So, Oh, Dave, you know, you never call, you never write, you never email me back. It's horrible. I can't stand it. So there's my complaint. Like how compelling am I to you right now? Mm-hmm. Are you, you go, Oh, Anise, I really want to call you more. Right. So that doesn't really work versus I look at the request that's underneath that, which is, Hey Dave, you know, I would love it if you and I could interact more, or I would love it when I email you if you could get back to me in like three days, within three days, and just let me know that you even got the email, that would be amazing. So just because I've made the request doesn't mean, this is not real, by the way, you're amazing at email, but just because no, I've made the request, I think in my experience you are. No, no, my people are amazing at email. I suck at it. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, great. There you go. Well, they're very good at it because I thought you were great at it. Thanks. So just because I've made the request doesn't mean that you have to say yes to it, uh-huh. but we're back in a position of collaboration where you can go, well, niece, I can't do that, but here, I'll, get, I'll have my people get back to you in three days. Um, if you look underneath that request and you go a little bit deeper, there's a tender agenda or there's a dream, which is, you know, I want to have a better working relationship. I want to know you better, like okay. whatever it might be. And so in your relationships with the people that you work with, you know, first of all, we always start with ourselves. So if I'm complaining a lot, what are my requests instead? And what do I want to do to make them happen? So that's that's one side of it. But then in my relationships, if I've got people complaining to me a lot, if as a leader of the team, I can say to them, hey, I hear your complaint. What would you like instead? That's a way of giving them back their power where they get to go, oh, wait a second. I'm, I actually could have a choice here. And so if they start to look at what they want instead, now they're in a different position of power where they can now you know, start to get into action around it. And one of the things I see people all the time is they think, they go, well, Anise, if I turn every one of my employees' complaints into requests, I will be so busy, I'll be exhausted. I'll be running around with my head cut off trying to like honor them. And so it's, it's not about that. It's about the person complains to you, ask them what they'd like instead, and then you give it back to them and say, great, how, what's the next thing you could do to start making that happen? Okay. You know, or, hey, you know, actually we really can't do that as a company. Here's why, let's talk about some alternatives. And so the idea again is 
get people out of the complaining energy, which is completely contagious. It's super toxic. And you get them into a state of really looking at, all right, what do I want instead? And how can I contribute to making it happen? Okay, that, that's, that sounds really legit. We have a, a rule okay. at Bulletproof that's like no gossiping. Like if you're going to kind of complain about something about someone else, you should be willing to say that to their face so we can work on Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Because especially we all have a shared mission here. So everyone in the company knows that we're helping literally millions of people now uh, yeah. Yeah. just to have more energy, just to, to get a little bit more control of what's happening in their own bodies. Yeah. And most of them have experienced that themselves dramatically, which is why they, they joined. So that works well with the kind of culture we have at Bulletproof, but it might not work so well if you're working at like Dell or somewhere like not to not right. to pick on Dell. It's just like they're a ginormous company that makes. I guess yeah. the computers aren't beige anymore; they're finally gray. <laughs> <laughs> like they're not that exciting. Sorry, Dell. <laughs> uh, yeah. So 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 you're saying that Dell would potentially bigger company. Yeah. Yes. If you have so, fifty thousand yeah. employees, like it's a very different it's problem. Is all I'm saying. And and if you're in a so in a mature industry. I'm, yeah. Here, here's another thing that I've noticed. This is, you know, related a little bit off topic, but here's another thing I've noticed. The bigger the company, the more room there is for the gossip and yeah. the complaints and everything. Because guess what? They have more time. You take a smaller company. I've really noticed a difference. Startups, smaller, entrepreneurial-minded companies, they don't have a lot of time for that stuff. So they're better about being really quick at pivoting and turning the complaints into requests, um, you know, having really clean agreements with each other around what you're talking about, no gossip, direct engagement. You have a bigger, bigger organization. It's just harder to get a handle on it. And there's a lot of there's a lot of bureaucracy and a lot of free time. And I, I tend to see a lot more of that that's harder to break through than a company the size of yours or, you know, just smaller entrepreneurial purpose okay. purpose minded companies. I think are quicker to grab onto the stuff and really go, okay, great. What are the agreements we need as a team in order to function at our very best? So direct engagement, you know, time integrity. Um, Turn complaints into requests. These are all different kinds of agreements I've seen people put into their leadership teams and then to build that as a culture to really support them in having great relationships. Not to not to not to ding on big companies either, because no, it's I, just culturally yeah. they're different and it's just, it's just different. Managing them is different too. Yeah. Now you talk about towards the end of your book about hiring and firing for the energetic good of all. Yeah. Um, all right. Walk me through what that means. <laughs> You start with okay. a crystal ball. I already know that. No, okay. <laughs> I wish I had a crystal ball, man. I, <laughs> you know, act, oh, you know what? Actually, ooh, look at this. No way. Okay. <laughs> it's not a crystal ball. It's not a crystal ball. It's amethyst. It's, it's amethyst. And just because you're, just because you, you did that. I, yeah. I, <laughs> I see your amethyst, oh. and I raise you a tourmaline. Yeah. Oh, uh -huh. well, guess what? I raise you a Labradite. <laughs> Actually, this might be a Labradite. I don't even know. I think that's a Labradite. Is it? Look at that. Raise you a Labradite. That is yeah. insane. That's awesome. Wait, let me hold yours up again. We have the same. Look at this. I think we have the same. The same rocks. They're the same rocks. You know, Interesting. You know what that means? It means we. What's that mean? It means we totally rock. Sorry, I had to say it. We so rock. We so rock. <laughs> we so rock. And if anyone right, doubted so... my level of dorkiness, I proved it right there, without a doubt. <laughs> All right, see, again, if I just had the glasses, we would be like, okay, so hiring and firing for the energetic good of all. I, I loved writing that chapter. You, um, so here's what I've noticed is I see this happen all the time where companies get into hostage situations. I call it a hostage situation. The, they, they, you know, they've got somebody in the company who is maybe really, really 
good at what they do and they're bringing in good money and they're, you know, a huge add to the results of the company, but they treat people really, really badly. Right. And so the company gets in this position where they're like, oh, I can't let go of this person because if I if I if we let go of Dave, our sales are going to really suffer. So we're going to tolerate what Dave's doing and we're going to let him run around and leave dead bodies all over the place because he's such a good performer. And so then what happens is the rest of the culture, the rest of the team starts to really react to that. And so the chapter talks about, you know, um, the hostage situation where you're not firing somebody because you either want to be too nice you're too dependent on them. You don't want to rock the boat, the boat culturally. You don't want to hurt morale. So you hang on to them, but it's, it's, um, it's actually uh, doing the opposite of what you want it to do because you're ruining your credibility with the rest of your staff. And so I talk about some of the things that people want to look at, which is making agreements as a leadership team of what behaviors are not acceptable and where do you guys draw the line. So even if somebody's your top performer, but they're really, really behaving badly and treating people poorly in the company and they're quote unquote toxic, like where do you draw the line? And what is your system for that? So do you give them feedback directly? Because that's another piece is that so often somebody's having negative impact and nobody's really giving them the honest direct feedback about it. So they continue doing it. And so then when the person gets fired or they quit because they're miserable now because everybody doesn't like them, it's, it's just not fair. So the whole chapter goes through, you know, helping people really look at where are you holding on to people that you shouldn't be? Where would it actually be an energetic service to let them go? Because nine times out of 10, the people that aren't performing well or that are, you know, um, toxic in the organization, they don't feel good about it either. And so there's just a looking at energetically, how do you hire the right people and really look at their values and their criteria, you know, like the criteria you're sorting for. And then also how do you let them go from a state of grace and care and contribution versus having to be this really horrible, ugly thing at the end. Now there's uh, two different groups of people listening. There's some percentage of the bulletproof audience who are either leaders or working to be leaders. And there's probably a much larger percentage of people who are both leaders, but also employees or, or being led. Uh, even yeah. me, like I, I have a board of directors and I'm part of a team and I just happen to be we, in a leadership role more often than not. But We, we all work for someone. Exactly. I, I mean, we're, if you're married, especially, right? No. <laughs> and now, how would someone know if they're one of the people who, well, needs to be fired for the energetic good of the organization? In other words... <laughs> what? How, how can you do this? Assuming that you want to know, how would you know? So I'm the employee, yeah, if, and, if I'm, the employee, and I need to know. How do you know that? Like, wow, I guess I'm actually not contributing in the way I should be, and I'm probably on a list somewhere of people who aren't a cultural fit. Like, what are the signs yeah. I should look for? Yeah, I think I think the first step is in awareness and being really honest with yourself about the impact that you're having on other people. So just noticing, being aware. When I walk into the room. Are people excited that I'm there? Like, what is what is the impact I have on people? How are they responding to me? Because I think if we really are aware of how people react to us, that gives us a lot of information, if even just intuitively. So that's one piece. Another piece would be to go to my boss or my business partner, whoever, and to get some feedback, to really ask them, like, hey, I have this sense. I want to make sure that I'm showing up in the way that's really contributing to the organization. What do you think? How am I doing? Um, so that would be another way just to have a really honest conversation. And the other piece would be to go and get some collaborative feedback where, you know, you go to your HR department or your talent department or, you know, whatever, whatever, probably learning and development, it depends on different organizations, but to really go and ask them, hey, can you get some really good feedback for me and collect it? I always tell people when they get feedback, if they're going to do it for themselves or they're going to have somebody else do it for them, it doesn't matter. I want them to get at least five to seven people to give them some core feedback around three or four key questions that I give them. And I ask the, them to make sure that these five to seven people 
are a combination of people who love them, people who do not like them at all, um, and just, you know, people who are their, like their boss, a direct report, like a customer. And so if they get this feedback around four core questions, then all of a sudden they've got a little bit more comprehensive idea of how they're doing in the organization. But, but here's the thing, Dave, is that unless people are willing to tell them the truth, you know, because I can do that feedback yeah. exercise and everyone's like, oh, no, he's, Dave's fantastic. Well, one of the... It's, but most, most of the time they will. One of the problems we have, especially in the U.S., is just the, the idea of getting feedback. Like You'll probably get sued for honest feedback. So mm-hmm. especially when someone's let go, the vast majority of companies are like, oh, really sorry, wasn't a strategic fit. <laughs> and you're like, what the hell does that mean? Like, clearly, like, either I did something wrong or really we had a layoff. But even if there was a layoff, like, you didn't lay that guy off, you laid me off. Right, right, right. So right. Uh, right. It, it's actually really unkind. But, you know, if you have HR attorneys, they'll be like, you cannot tell the person why you fired them because they'll turn around and sue you for that. And what, uh, what's, your, interesting. what's your advice in oh, that that's, situation? That's, that's interesting. I, um, you know, and all the time doing this work, knock on wood, Big time wood, um, I, or labradite. Uh, I've never, I've never run into that. So here, here's, here's the way that I look at that: is if somebody is performing badly and it's performance related, they're having a negative impact on other people. You, as the company, you as a leader in the company, have a responsibility. I believe it is a huge responsibility to go and to give that person honest feedback, saying, "Here's what we're noticing is happening." We care very much about you. We want you to do well here. We're willing to put you on a performance program. We're willing to get you some coaching. We're willing to do, like, we'll get you a buddy, like whatever. I think it's the leader's responsibility to go and be really honest with that person. Um, And if it's performance related or it's the way that they're showing up in the organization, it's not some personal thing like they're, you know, some of the more traditional things that um, people, that I see people would get into trouble for, like discrimination or, you know, it's a woman or they're pregnant or they're on maternity leave or like I'm thinking of those kinds of things. But um, if it's really performance related, then in my mind, I've, I've never seen that backfire. That's something where you have a responsibility. Where I see it really backfire is people are so doggone polite. They don't want to give that feedback. And so they are very careful around it. And there's actually an example I give in the book of somebody who was awesome. He thought he was doing so great. And then I got behind closed doors with the leadership team. And they're like, oh, we just don't think he's going to cut it. And I was like, you guys, I just saw you give him a review that was awesome. Like, what, you know, what's the disconnect? And they went, well, we're just kind of hoping he's going to get it. Well, no, that's, compl- that's cruel. To me, that's cruel. So that is not for the energetic good of all. And so we talk about, you know, giving feedback effectively. We talk about, you know, setting people up for success. We talk about having really honest conversations in that feedback conversation so that the person, if they do end up leaving, they leave feeling good and like they were a contribution to the organization in whatever way they were. And now they can go out and be a better contribution to somebody else somewhere else. Okay. That is sound advice. Now we're up (laughs) on the end of the show and and I feel like there's a bunch more questions I could ask you for people who like want to navigate the weird labyrinth that is corporate America. Uh, and, yeah, and I would so actually nice. recommend that, that people read your book because you talk about this a lot and anyone who reads this who shows up in a meeting and gets some of these things, like they'll be able to change at least their contribution and probably the whole meeting. And yeah. when you are the person who does that reliably, what happens is you get raises and promotions. Like it just kind of works that way. Right? <laughs> that's, that's a bonus. <laughs> I, I certainly look for bonus. people like that. Like, and so 
that that's that's one of the reasons that this is helpful. So this isn't just about leaders. This is about your performance, yeah. and it is a little bit more about your performance at work. But if you take the core methodology, it's about your performance as a leader throughout life, not just at work. But I think a lot of it does apply to the workplace. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny because the book is called Contagious Culture, and you know, as I was writing it, you know, people kept going, "Oh, great organizational culture, organizational culture," and sure, absolutely big applications in organizational culture, but I also look at it as the culture in your family, your friends, the culture that we carry in ourselves. Like we've got, I've got my own entire internal culture going on right now, right? It's like, so looking, so looking at that and always coming back to you as the human being, you as the leader, because in my mind, everybody's leading. You might not have a leadership position in your company, but if you're not leading your life, then who is? So coming back to you as leader and just looking at, okay, how am I showing up? And it starts with me. And in order for me to create impact in the world, I better show up. So it's it it builds. It's an inside out. It's an inside out approach. Okay, that, that makes sense. <clears throat> the other thing yeah. I'm going to do just to confuse things, I'm going to have yeah. uh, my friend and Bulletproof Radio guest Summer Bach, who's a professional fermentationist. I'm going to have okay. her make a recommendation for contagious culture, which will confuse everyone. <laughs> that'd be that'd be no, great. I'm just kidding. That'd be great. <laughs> no, That's no, perfect. not that kind of culture. All right. You, you, you know, I got a phone call, something like that, after the book was released. They're like, okay, wait, what is this contagious culture? Does this have to do with the, with the CDC? Did you really? So, oh, yeah. my goodness. Mm-hmm. No, it, it's not that kind of culture, but it, it is a memorable. It's not that kind of culture, but it does, yeah. in fact, it does it, spread. It does spread. So it, it's a memorable and an appropriate name. We're, we're, all, we're all one big Petri dish. Okay, there we go. sorry, go on. There you go. Now I'm, now I'm going to start geeking out with you. There you go. All now, right. we're up on the end of the show, and last time I asked yes. you your top three recommendations for people who want to kick more ass at everything they do. But yes. because you just wrote a book on this and you've already answered the question and probably don't remember your answers before, one thing I could do is I could ask you the, the same one again and do a differential analysis to see if you change your answer, but that would be kind of boring. So I promise you I've changed my answers. Everyone does. So then what I want to know is what are your top three recommendations for people who want to kick more ass as leaders? Mm, 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 mm. Okay. All right. And it better not just be IE and P because that would be boring. <laughs> Show up, be present. No. Uh, okay, on top of every, you see, here's the thing. I, 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 you know, you ask this question of everybody. There's so many good things that come out of these three questions oh, for people. So good. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna add onto them because you asked me this last time, and I remember I couldn't get into three. I don't know if you remember, but I was combining three into each answer. Yeah, you're like three answers, each with 17 subparts. I, I remember that. <laughs> you, you said it was okay because it was hacking, and I was naming it that I was doing it. Yeah. So I would say. Um, all right, so as a leader, one is to find the gift in everything. So this is different. So aside from being present, all the things we've talked about, you know, taking accountability for your life, all that stuff, let's, I'm just going to add on some more. So one is find the gift in every single thing. So something happens in the company, you have to fire somebody, you get stuck at the airport, um, you know, a big meeting gets canceled, whatever get present to it and find the gift. There is a gift. There's always some kind of a gift. There's something that we can learn. There's something that we learn about ourselves. There's something. Um, And so if you can find the gift and really look at how can this help you move into being an even more impactful leader, that's awesome. And that will change you from having the mindset of like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this thing just happened and this sucks and da, 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 even though you might feel that way for a while to turning that thing into something really productive. So find the gift and be really grateful for it. What was the gift of spending that at the airport? Just help me up with that. Yeah, you know what the gift was? I got to run a really fun little experiment in contagious culture. 
I mean, yeah. you, the, you, you, you know, travel is a great place to look at mm -hmm. that anyway. But sitting on the plane, I mean, I sat there, Dave, and I watched the people behind me just throw a huge fit. And the whole back of the plane was just like, Ugh. And then you got the people around me and the woman next to me, she was amazing, who were looking at, okay, well, what are we going to do? We're stuck here for the night. And I, I was sitting there and I actually got my Christmas shopping done. I got the rest of my Christmas shopping done online because we were on the tarmac for two hours. And so there's, you know, looking at how people react, you get off the plane, you get a choice. There's a choice in every single moment about how do I want to show up with this? How do I want to re react to this? And so for me, the gift was um, I met some new friends. I got to explore the airport, although I'd be fine not to not do that again. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, and I, and I got to, oh, I got to really, really have a visceral experience of being completely exhausted because I didn't sleep that night. Um, completely exhausted, surrounded by crappy food. I did have some of my, like, bulletproof stuff on me, so that got me, like, that was great. Get a stick of butter um, you're going to make it. Stick of, stick of butter, <laughs> absolutely. Stick of butter in one of your bars. Nice. Like, you know, so it was, you know, and, and I think to me personally, the biggest gift of that night was noticing how many times I wanted to go to Snarky and be frustrated about it and then catching myself and going, oh, no, 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 I'm at choice here. I can actually have a really lovely, lovely evening. So I made it as lovely as it could possibly be, and I got home, and it's all good, and it didn't ruin my life. So... That's one thing. Um, another thing would be as a leader to create a tribe of people around you that really inspire you and that ask you to be even bigger and better than you are, but also hold space for you to completely suck. Okay. You know, so your tribe, I think that's so, so important. And then another one I would say would be um, to build in rituals, like build in rituals into your life every, you know, every stop. You know, I've got rituals in the morning. I've got rituals in the afternoon with my kids. Like just to build in some kind of a ritual that makes you feel really good and that isn't a big should, but that actually gives you energy, gives you a better container to show up in a way that you want to show up. Those would be three things. Awesome. And, I'll, and I'm not going to cheat and give you 20 more. <laughs> Anise, uh, thanks for being on Bulletproof Radio. People can find you at IEP.io or... Yep. If they can spell Anise it, com. That They can also do Contagious Culture. Oh, is it ContagiousCulture.com? They can get there too that way. Okay. ContagiousCulture.com is really easy to get to as well. It's easy to remember. So all of them are going to lead you to, uh, to your work. And yeah. your, your new book is, is a worthwhile read. I, I really think so, which is why I invited you back on, uh, back on the show. Thank you. And, thank and thanks you. for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me on again. And thank you for reading it. And, you know, you guys, did you read the acknowledgments? Um, I did not read the acknowledgments. Should I have? Oh my gosh, Dave. How did you not read the acknowledgments? Okay, really quick. The acknowledgments section, the original draft was 4,000 words. <laughs> That's a lot of gratitude right there. I know. And I, and I sent it to the editor and they said, you cannot have a 4,000 word. Like, <laughs> That's a whole, you can't have that. So I had to cut it down to 1,000, which was honestly almost the hardest thing to do in that entire book. That was painful for me to like be cutting stuff out. But you're in there oh, and you should you. see it. You should see okay. it because, will, you know, know basically you're... Your coffee was the co-author of the book. I mean, I can't believe you didn't look at that. <laughs> oh, wow. Good look. I'm amazed. That, yeah. Well, thank you, Anise. No, I, I totally welcome. didn't. I, I tend to skip that because I'm like, I'm just going to like read the book. That's so bad. you gotta, no, you right. got to read the back. you got to read the back. All right. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks for having me on again. Thanks. Bye. Bye. If you like today's show, you know what to do. Head on out there to IEP.io and check out Anise's work because it's good stuff. You could also head on over to bulletproofexec.com slash YouTube and just click subscribe or follow, and I will give you lots of good stuff on YouTube that you're not gonna get just on the podcast. So it's worth having it both ways. And if you were watching today, you would be seeing my incredibly cool Rockstar sunglasses. 
I look only a little bit like Tron today, and you would have seen my cool lavender ball. Have an awesome day. Bye. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.